My wife, Jeanette, and I are delighted to have been invited to worship with you this morning and graciously invited to share in the picnic after worship. And we look forward to maybe getting a little better acquainted with some of you there. Our text for this morning's message is one verse, the concluding verse of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And before, by God's grace, I open that passage to us, let's once again ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we have this treasure, your precious word, in vessels of clay. I ask now that your people might not see the cracked and broken vessel, but that the treasure that is within the word of God may go forth with power to minister to them and to call those who do not yet know Christ to believe and trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is very familiar and it reads as follows. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As you know, I've titled the message, What's in a Benediction? This is a verse that is used as a benediction at the close of worship services. I will most likely use it today. What's in a benediction? The short answer, inexhaustible riches. This brief text reveals God as the fountain of the incomparable blessings of divine love, grace, and fellowship. And this morning I want to drill down on that one phrase that is found in the text, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul, in his travels, came upon some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so the apostle further instructed them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And their discipleship, their following of Jesus Christ was strengthened. Their previously weak walk with the Lord was strengthened when they received the Holy Spirit and entered into fellowship with him. So the objective of this message is in imitation of that. Further instruction about the Holy Spirit and a gaining of a greater participation in fellowship with him. So let me outline for you how I hope to accomplish this. First, we're going to ask and answer, who is the Holy Spirit? Second, how do God's people know the Holy Spirit? Third, so what does it mean to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And fourth, 
the Holy Spirit sends us. Who is the Holy Spirit? How do God's people know the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit sends us. So first, let's address the issue of who is the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized as a Christian, you've been baptized into the name, singular, not names, plural, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, and then the name of the Son, and then the name. You've been baptized into that one name. The short answer to the question, who, in the, who is the Holy Spirit, is he is Almighty God. Let me read for you in a condensed form from the Westminster Confession. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's demonstrate the Holy Spirit's deity, his sharing in Godhead, the fact that he is God, the truth that he is God, by considering some of his attributes, that is, his divine qualities or characteristics that we find in the word of God. First, eternity. Encouraging believers to rejoice with assurance in their great and free salvation The writer to the Hebrews says, how much more, how much more than all the old covenant rites and animal sacrifices, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Only God is eternal. And here in that text we see that the Holy Spirit is called Eternal. He is the eternal spirit. Omnipresence, a big theological word commonly defined as, well, God is everywhere. Perhaps more precisely defined as saying that every place, every time, every molecule in the creation, and in every moment is equally present before God, the creator of time and space. Such a wondrous attribute is ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the 139th Psalm, from which we just sung. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He is all-knowing, omniscient. Don't we grow weary of people we call know-it-alls? It seems that whatever you say, they already know it, or they have... Well, God really does know it all. And so we see this attribute possessed by the Holy Spirit in a passage like Isaiah 40, verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? And so we could go on showing from Scripture that the third person of the blessed and holy trinity possesses every attribute, every divine quality or characteristic that the first and second persons possess. And note that 
Our question was who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit. So even though the Bible speaks of believers being baptized in the Spirit or with the Spirit, commands us to be filled with the Spirit, this does not mean, as some cults teach, that the Holy Spirit is kind of a force or a thing, an inanimate. Like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is a divine person who can be grieved He can be lied to. He teaches and he leads. So let's be careful always to never call him it. He is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the wise, intelligent creator. And just as the word who became flesh was there at the beginning, so was the Holy Spirit at the dawn of history. The dawn of creation, he was there. We read in Genesis 1 verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Job cries out, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And of course, most importantly, Scripture testifies that the Holy Spirit is its author. We find this in so many places in the Word. I'll just give you a few. David, the human author of most of the Psalms, many of the Psalms, said this in 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. And Paul, the human author of such a huge portion of the New Testament, he's the one that said all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Peter, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, as they were carried along, by the Holy Spirit. And so his role, the Holy Spirit's role as the great author behind all the human authors of Scripture leads to my second point. How do God's people know the Holy Spirit? We've just had what I hope is a good solid theological foundation, some truth about who the Holy Spirit is. But we have to go beyond that. You know who the, great, the greatest theologian is probably the devil. He could probably tell you everything that I just said about the Holy Spirit. But we want to go further and we want to ask, how do God's people know the Holy Spirit? How do we have that personal relationship with God? How does the Holy Spirit fit into that? Isn't that how we so often in our witness to people say, well, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, it's about knowing God. Well, how? How do God's people know the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son? Three ways. First, by his own witness to them within their hearts 
through that word he inspired. God's word and God's spirit always work together. Hear what Paul wrote in Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, sonship, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So it is by the living and active word of God that the indwelling Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And dear people of God, I hope that you are forever saturating yourselves with the scriptures, with the word of God. If you want more of that intimacy of knowledge of God, where there is much hearing of the word, reading of the word, memorizing of the word, meditating upon it, studying and singing scripture, what a joy to find that in our worship this morning we, we sang Scripture. We sang the Psalms. Where there's much of that on the part of the children of God, this witness of the Spirit within us abounds, giving us comfort and assurance that we belong to God, that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that that offering of himself through the eternal Spirit applies to me, applies to you. We need the word of God to abound in that assurance and that intimacy of knowledge of God. How do God's people know the Holy Spirit? In the second place, by the fruit that he produces. He is the Holy Spirit. And without real holiness of life, no one will see the Lord. When we see the Holy Spirit's ninefold fruit described in Galatians 5. It's not all little different fruits, but it's one fruit with these several characteristics love, joy, peace, patience, or long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. When we see these things tangibly manifested in our day to day lives, and the lives of others, not in putting on a mask of appearance, but when it's genuinely who we are, when this fruit is growing within our souls, we know that the Holy Spirit has been at work in ourselves and in others when we see that precious fruit. If we don't see that fruit, then we must ask, Is the Holy Spirit present here? Is he working here? And that figure of the fruit that Paul uses in Galatians represents the perfect character of Christ to whose image the Spirit is at work to conform us. Earlier in our 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. 
How do we know the Holy Spirit? We know him by that inward witness. We know him when we see the fruit. And we know the Holy Spirit as we are in the way of obedience. By this we know, says John the Apostle, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's an encouragement to know that keeping his commandments does not mean perfect obedience. We heard a testimony this morning of a brother who shared that his obedience, like mine and like yours, is not always perfect. But we keep his commandments. We love, oh how I love the law of God, says the psalmist. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him so it is it is in his working within us to make us more and more obedient to further and further conform us to the image of Jesus that's how we know the Holy Spirit and that leads us to our third point it's not only about having that good theology of the Holy Spirit It's not only knowing him personally, but it's about having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I can know someone, I can know a lot of things about them, and I can know them personally. But if I haven't seen the person in a long time, how can I say that I'm in fellowship with them? So... We not only want to know all about the Holy Spirit, we not only want to know the Holy Spirit, but we want to have that day-to-day fellowship with him. The word fellowship has been watered down, I fear. It's kind of been watered down to mean Christian socializing. And that's a great thing. I'm looking forward to being with some of you this afternoon and just getting to know you, you know, sharing in in a picnic together. That's great. Brothers and sisters in Christ enjoying one another's company. But that's only part of our fellowship. That's just a, a dimension of it. It means partnership. It means sharing in something. Sharing in life. Doing life together. It's an expression we use at our congregation doing life together. We can perhaps get a better handle on what fellowship means from the Apostle John on Patmos. He says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The apostle saw fellowship as being a partner, a sharer in all of those things that go into kingdom life. Tribulation. We're promised tribulation. Why else would the scripture say, count it all joy? The kingdom. Having our focus upon the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and patience. So the Holy Spirit 
is the church's divine partner in its divine calling. And that divine calling could be defined as the lifting up, the exaltation of Christ as Savior and Lord as he is presented in the gospel. From John 16 that we read earlier this morning, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What is his? The fullness of salvation. Listen again to what Peter said. To them, that is the prophets of old, it was revealed not to themselves but to us. They were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the Holy Spirit himself is the true preacher, we might say, behind all faithful preaching of the gospel. And we partner with him, we have fellowship with him in glorifying Jesus by the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. That glorious message that the second person of the Trinity, the word, Jesus Christ, took to himself a human nature, indeed born of a virgin, that he would not share in the guilt and corruption that we all inherit as children of Adam. Jesus did not partake of that. He was truly man, but he was not covenantally reckoned as in Adam. And having been born of a virgin, he went on to live an absolutely sinless life. He never committed any sin, not the slightest, so that he became the Lamb of God, the pure and spotless Lamb of God. And all those animal sacrifices pointed to him were a figure of him who would sacrifice himself. When he died on that cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon the Lamb of God, not for his own sin, for he had none, but for the sin of his people. He himself bore the penalty He paid the price. He paid the ransom. And he rose again from the dead for the justification of those who will trust in him and him alone for the forgiveness of sins. He has ascended to heaven from which he sends the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can communicate this message the saving truth to the world through us. That's our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's fellowship in the gospel, fellowship in the kingdom, fellowshipping and lifting up Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my final point. The Holy Spirit sends us. On the first day of the week, God calls his sheep together, feeds them by his appointed means of grace, word, sacraments, prayer. 
and dismisses them to go forth with his blessing. The benediction is that dismissal to go and serve him, to serve God in the strength of that feeding that we are sharing in right now until he calls us together again. Did you know that the term mass as used by the Roman Catholics is derived from the Latin word missa used in the final statement of their service and its translation is go, it is the dismissal. Carelessness of what worship is all about can lead to kind of a fleshly mentality that regards the benediction as kind of a signal, okay, it's over, I'm out of here. But a right understanding, a sharing in the mindset that was in the apostle when he ended his letter to the Corinthians with this benediction, is that God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, goes forth with us. Perhaps better said, we go forth with him, fellowshipping with him in the gospel. He's our divine fellowship partner. What a wonderful grounds for comfort, for peace and confidence. It's not your ability to persuade, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit through the word that's going to call the unsaved to trust in Christ. That's going to build up your brother or sister when they need a word of encouragement. The Holy Spirit is your partner in kingdom work. And so in closing, I want to offer some questions for you as you are dismissed into the battle, into the harvest field, into your place of kingdom service. One, what specifically is God sending you forth to do this week? This is the first day of a new week. What is God sending you forth to do this week? Two, how will the Holy Spirit be my fellowship partner in doing that? Third, what besetting sin in my life can I put to death by the power of the Holy Spirit? Four, will I be faithful to cultivate devotion to the written word by which the Holy Spirit will strengthen and comfort me, bringing me more and more into that intimacy of the knowledge of God? And fifth, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We started off looking briefly at Acts 19 where some people said, we don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, we learn of a man named Simon who imagined that he could buy the power of the Holy Spirit. But like the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and like the love of God the Father, 
our fellowship with the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace. And so may it be that the one who speaks and those who hear go forth from this place today in the Holy Spirit's fullness, mightily strengthened with the Holy Spirit's sin-mortifying power, having fellowship with the Holy Spirit in the work of the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit for your Son, having accomplished our redemption, ascended to your right hand and sent the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would not quench him or grieve him, but be filled with him, that we would be his fellowship partners as we go about whatever you have called each one of us to do in your kingdom, your field. Lord God, we ask that you seal this word to our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.